Okay, Matt, back with another fan in the fanatic episode. We still have we're still having a little bit of scheduling conflicts with our UH experts. So hopefully I we'll know. get them on next week. Hunter, come on, dude. Next week or the following week, sometime, hopefully before uh we get to the Diamond Head Classic. But hey, it's all good. I mean, the season's over. We're not really in a rush. Um and I don't I'm not really gonna forget anything about the UH football season in the next month. So I'm not in a rush or anything, but yeah, hopefully we'll get him on soon or sooner rather than later, I should say. Um, but regardless of that, we still have a lot of stuff to talk about with the CFP. We still have a lot of NFL um, movement in the AFC. Good for my team, but we'll get to that later. As usual, Matt, why don't we start off with your Cowboys, how they did this weekend. Um, offense still looking really good. Defense, a little bit shaky this week, or last week, I should say, on Thursday night. But came away with the victory nonetheless. But I don't know. You must have been feeling a little bit uneasy during that one. How's What's the overall takeaway from that? I was sweating. I don't know if this was the most stressful. Maybe this one and the Philly game, the first Philly game. But this one, I was not, I could say, uh, smooth sailing like how I've been used to for the past few weeks. You know, Dallas just blowing out everybody. I can just kick back, relax, you know, enjoy some Cooper Rush time in the fourth quarter. Yeah, this was not the case because I think my defense kind of forgot to show up for a game. I mean, 35 points. First off, I think the spread going into the game was like nine, which was outrageous because I think that's very disrespectful to Seattle. I know they got killed by the Niners the week before, but I still think they're a quality team. Kind of just sucks that they have a probably the hardest schedule like in the NFL within these next like four weeks. They have to go to the Niners, Cowboys, and then they got the Niners again, and they got the Eagles. So, you know, good luck to you guys there. But you know, they're still a good team. And I was thinking, you know, this is probably going to be, you know, one possession game, but like a 20, you know, like a mid-20s kind of game. I was not expecting 41 from the Cowboys and sure was not expecting a 35-point outbreak from Seattle. I mean, they had Geno Smith looking like 2013 Peyton Manning, which is kind of scary. But, you know, you brought it up. The defense in this game was concerning to say the least for about three quarters uh it was kind of a shock because for really the whole year they've done a pretty good job of managing around the the injury with Trayvon Diggs and the emergence of Deron Bland kind of covered that for a little bit but I think this game kind of exposed that weakness for us I mean, Trayvon Diggs kind of shows why he's our best corner. You you could make a case he's our first best defensive player, but definitely, you know, top two on the team with the healthy Micah Parsons. Um, But he was missed. He was dearly missed in this game because Seattle had a guy named DK Metcalf who went crazy, but really against... One guy in Deron Bland. That was kind of the matchup Seattle was really attacking. 
throughout the game. They were they weren't even looking at whoever was going on Gilmore. It was whoever is on Bland. I'm throwing the ball to him, and I don't know why Dan Quinn waited to the half to make this adjustment, but they just left him on him the entire first half, and he was getting cooked. Had I think he had the worst first half <laughs> in the NFL per stat, like at least by stats by a DB this season, which is pretty insane because he was the player of the month defensively for November. But that was a bit concerning because, you know, they didn't do a good job guarding the pass. And I thought some blame needs to be on Dan Quinn for this one. And really the coaching, but we can talk about that. But Dan Quinn, I thought he had a terrible game as a coordinator. I know he's kind of like our savior or, you know, he doesn't deserve any bashing. But, I mean, I got to be honest, he kind of waited a little bit too long to to make that change. And, you know, Metcalf, he's obviously going to feast on these smaller de- defensive backs. So why were you waiting so long to make that switch and allow Gilmore to travel? I mean, Gilly likes to stay on one side of the field typically, but... You got to be able to adjust quicker, I think. I mean, he did eventually make that change and it worked out for us, but I just thought he waited way too long. And then bad um, situational management by DQ as well. Late in the first half, right? Seattle kind of in field goal range, right? They had no timeouts. You're kind of just conceding the field goal at the end of the first half. So all you got to do keep everything in front, tackle. If they kick a field goal, so be it. Because you can go into the half with the lead. You just cannot give up the touchdown over your head, which would end up being a deficit for us at the half. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened, right? They pick on Bland again. Smith and Jigma gets deep. I mean, it was a touchdown at first, called back from a, or with the incompletion, but there was a penalty and all this commotion. But basically, they got the ball at the one and they scored. But how do you allow Deron Bland to get isolated like that in that situation? Shouldn't you be keeping two guys back in that situation? Because all you're doing is protecting the touchdown in that situation. If they want to throw it 15 yards, fine. Tackle them. Make make them make the kick, and you go into the half with the lead. So Dan Quinn, that needs to be called out because you cannot do that in the postseason. Points like that. That that wins and loses you games in the postseason against good teams, let me tell you that. But, you know, speaking of coaching, <laughs> Mike McCarthy, you know, kind of a guy who's been doing pretty well so far in terms of game management, making decisions. This was another, yeah, this is kind of what I expect from Mike McCarthy, kind of botching the calls, not knowing what to do situationally. Defensively, right? Second half, we come out, Bland gets an interception. We're trying to come back in the game. We have a chance to take the lead down by two. And in fourth down and short, you end up trying to go for it instead of taking the points. I'm a guy who always believes when you get a turnover, you got to get something. I know you want the touchdown to really get the momentum, but when you're down by, especially you're down by two, you have a chance to get the lead when Seattle has been pretty much dominating the game to that point, you got to get the lead and put pressure on Seattle. But Mike McCarthy decides let's go for it. 
granted, it was a pretty good play call. I like the play call, but I just don't like the the situational awareness. I think you got to take points, and then you know late in the game, probably the worst one. <laughs> you know, you have the lead. Seattle has no timeouts. Run the ball. Run the ball. Just burn the clock. Kick the field goal and defend the touchdown. But Mike McCarthy, not only does he call a pass, he calls a go route. <laughs> All you got to do is you got to get three yards and you ice the game. You can take a knee, kneel out the clock. Why do you need to call a go route? You're not trying to score a touchdown. You're trying to get three yards to ice the game or just run the clock. You gave Geno Smith the ball back with a minute 48 by just throwing that pass. All you could have did was you could have ran the ball, or if you're going to pass, at least make it a high percentage, you know, a screen, a very, you know, a rub route into the flat, something simple, like short, easy completion. That's the kind of pass you got to make if you're going to throw it. But you decide to call a go route, that stops the clock. So instead of running the ball, you take it down to maybe, what, a minute? You kick the field goal. That's another five seconds. Plus, maybe you kick the ball off. They try to return it. You tackle them, burn another five seconds. You could have gave Seattle the ball back with under a minute left. But instead, you give them an extra minute, really. So, like, things like that. That needs to be cleaned up. So I thought the coaching was not not good. It, it really wasn't good. Um, defensively, for three quarters, was not good. But championship defenses like i say it's all about the moments right and they stepped up when the moment was biggest three straight fourth down stops in the fourth quarter you give your offense a chance they capitalize and michael parsons what else can i say about this guy i don't need him to get sacks but it's like when you need a big play your stars need to show up and do it in that moment and this is really what this game was about Micah Parsons, pretty quiet game. Not really, nobody's saying anything. Al Michaels wasn't calling his name at all. Until fourth and two with the game on the line. He gets the pressure, forces the incompletion. That's what makes this kid so special. That's what makes this defense special to me. Is when their back is against the wall, I trust that they're going to make a play because I got that guy number 11 on the field and he's a big time playmaker. So that was huge for me. That was huge. So the defense shaky to start, but they closed out strong, which is what I can live with. It's all about it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish the game. They finish strong. But man, this this game was really about the offense. You know, I, I saw some emerging stars again, Jake Ferguson, kind of the emerging guy for this team right now. I was really high on him when Cowboys drafted him two years ago. I was like, yeah, this is a solid pick because I think he fits better than, than Dalton Schultz. I could not stand Dalton Schultz. You know that. I complain about him all the time. I thought he was the softest tight end I've ever watched on a Dallas Cowboy football team. I don't want a guy like that. I need a physical tight end who's willing to get dirty in the run blocking schemes and a guy who's going to lower the shoulder and try to break tackles. And this kid does exactly that and he's not going to back down from anybody i think that's such a huge thing because the cowboys kind of get caught up in the name the brand right where the pretty boys but you know when you got jake ferguson standing up to jamal adams taunting him like 
getting in his face like yeah we we're a different team now we we're not gonna back down from anybody you got him and you got the quarterback Dak Prescott giving the shoulder shrugs to you know the Seattle DBs and whatnot yeah that that's what I'd like to see and that guy speaking of number four I don't know I thought this was probably his best game of the season I mean, he has been on a heater these past few weeks. And I've been very critical of him for about a year, maybe. I don't know, year and a half-ish. Because I've uh, I think said, it's been a while since uh, you after so? 2016, you've been pretty critical. <laughs> so, so let's say like six years. Okay, I was trying to be a little nicer for myself. But okay, six years. <laughs> but the reason why I get so upset about this guy is because... In the big moments when we need him, he shrivels. He crumbles under the pressure. But this game, this is exactly what we need. And I'm not talking about the, you know, he was great. 299 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, no turnovers. That's fantastic. Right? But, you know, as a quarterback, you're going to throw picks. You're like, you know, that happens. But it's like, when does that moment happen? Or when does it not happen? And this game was all about Dak because we needed him to really take this game over. The defense couldn't stop anybody, but he kept pace with Seattle and he gave us a chance. And the defense finally got a couple stops at the end and he needed that one drive and we needed him to say, Dak, we're down a touchdown. We're down five. You got to take us home, get us in the end zone. And that drive was perfect. He was outstanding outstanding job by Mr. Prescott. And I don't really get that kind of feeling because I felt like in this game, most of the time when the Cowboys are losing, it's like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know, like they're not going to make it. But there was something about when Dak got on the field and I was like, they're down five. Like they're going to, I was like, they're going to get this in. Like I'm, I'm feeling Dak right now. I mean, he's, he just looks different. His body language in control. I was like, he's he's gonna get this in. I was stressing, but I was feeling confident too. And he he delivered. But that's exactly what we need from him. Just those moments. That's what makes him, you know, the $40 million man that he is. Deliver in those big moments. That's how you earn the paycheck. And he earned every penny of that in this game. So I want to commend Dak Prescott. Without him, we don't win this game. He was outstanding. But it's going to get harder every game from now. You got the Eagles next week, and then we got the AFC East gauntlet, Detroit, right? So some tough tough opponents coming up, but a perfect start to kind of the gauntlet run of this, this schedule for the Cowboys. And, you know, I, I think he should be the MVP at this point. I don't think Brock Purdy should be. I think Dak Prescott should be MVP at this point. So... That's my. I know I went kind of long today. It's kind of shocking. Okay. I thought I was gonna be, I was gonna be quick, but you know I got really, really amped up about the defense. But Dak Prescott, man, he playing so well. I, I like, I love the man right now. You know, I was like ready to throw him in the trash last year, but love this guy. He's playing well. He plays like this. I don't care if we're on the road. I don't care for a wild card or division winner. If he plays like this, I like my chances against any team. So 
I'm a happy Cowboy fan. We can talk about this game later because the Eagles lost too. So it's like a perfect, perfect weekend for me in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I just to piggyback off the Dak Prescott points, I also feel that this year with Dak, it's a little bit different and I can't quite put my finger on it. It's more of a feeling thing. It's not like I'm seeing anything, you know, amazing. I mean, he is playing extremely well, but it's it's like you said, the vibe around Dak now where, you know, before he's had years where he's put up good numbers, right? That year, I think it was two seasons ago when the defense was absolutely bottom tier in the league, right? Before Dan Quinn. And he was putting up, a bunch of numbers, but it was always like, oh, are they going to win the game? When, when, you know, he has the ball at the end, not it sure. It was the empty calorie yards, right? right? When they're right. down two possessions, he's padding his stats, making it look closer than it seems. Right. And so I feel like now, and it's just a feeling, but I do feel that confidence that, you know, when Dak has the ball now, it's not, oh, don't throw a pick, Dak, or oh no, don't do this. It's like, okay, let's go, like, let's go score, let's go get it. Um and yeah, just just especially in this game, uh, I, I feel uh the same about what you said with Dak. So MVP, I think it's hard it honestly is hard to argue uh against Dak being the MVP right now, I think, because I know Purdy is the betting favorite right now, I believe, uh, after this weekend. But I still think that because of the roster that Purdy has, um, I mean, offensively is one thing, but the defense, I think, has returned to their top tier four. And, you know, they still have a majority of their guys. They did lose uh, Hufunga, which is a big loss for them. He's all pro. But I still think that roster... um, top to bottom is the best in football. And I just think that does unfortunately hurt MVP chances. Like when you talk about MVP, we talk about this every year was the MVP is the best player. Is it the, you know, you trying to really define most valuable to a team. Uh, It's kind of a toss up, but I I think it's hard to argue that Dak is not either leading the, the race or, you know, he's, easily a top three candidate in my eyes uh, with how he's been playing this year, especially as of late. So I agree with the MVP talk there, but yeah, good to see Dak uh, finally gets making that contract worth it. Huh? So it's well. the only downside of him playing so well is he's going to get a contract extension next year. And it's probably going to be the highest paid contract in the NFL. So it's like, ah, eh, that's the, like, you know, Eh, do you want him to kind of suck a little bit so his price goes down? <laughs> but you know what? Hey, I don't care. Do you play like this and you take us home? It's a blank check. You ask for whatever money you want and we'll give it to you. You deliver us this Super Bowl. I agree. I agree. Um, okay. Well, why don't we move on here? We'll get to my team really quick. Um, so Dolphins taking on the Commanders in uh, D.C. and I mean, it really wasn't close from the jump. This one, uh, offense did their thing. I mean, Tua and Tyreek. Tyreek had five catches 
for 157 yards. So that's a pretty good average. I would say two touchdowns. He had a 78-yard touchdown and like a 60-something yard touchdown. Um, Interesting way I thought Washington was choosing to play defense against Yeah, why is Tyreek Hill one-on-one on on the outside? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure, but you know what? I'll take it as a Dolphins fan, obviously. But I just thought complete game. Um, Really like to see them take care of business. And I'll start with the offense, obviously. Um, I thought Tua, you know, last week coming off the bye, just wasn't quite as sharp as I had seen him this year. Uh, So looking or with seeing how he played this week, this past week, I was very impressed, very pleased to see him back in form, um, hitting guys in stride, making the right decisions, and no turnovers, which is the best part of, I think, this game offensively, because we know this team can score, right? Um, quick strike, you got Tyreek, you got Jalen Waddle, Moser, Achan, like we have speed, we can hit the home run at any time, but you want to see the the clean execution, and that's what I was the most pleased with from this offense on Sunday. You know, he made good decisions. Uh, none of those real, like, ooh, like, you kind of hold your breath throws. Uh, all the throws, you know, were good windows, good decisions on time, which is exactly what you want to see. And especially, you know, not to discredit Washington, but, you know, they were 4-8 and eight going into this one. Uh, this was a game we should have won, right? I think the spread was like double digits. So definitely uh, a heavy Miami favorite one. But that's what you have to do against, you know, a team you're supposed to beat. You go out and you show that you beat them, right? Um, everyone's calls the Dolphins, oh, they're frauds because they only beat bad teams, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's hard to win in this league as we've seen. You know, we'll get to tonight, for example. But um it's hard to win against any team especially this late in the year right where everyone is still fighting for something you know job security playoff chances uh staying in the nfl so i think you know i'm not trying to discredit this win at all but you know i'm glad to see they did take care of business and yeah Tua just looked sharp and that was what i was most impressed with i would say so Looking to see good things moving forward. Um, and then, you know, I believe they said this was the eighth different combination of offensive linemen we've had this year uh, through 11 games. So I think for Tula not to get sacked, not only is it a tip of the cap to the offensive linemen on this team who have played well, you know, throughout the course of the year, but also to Mike McDaniel and to Tua for, you know, getting the ball out fast, not putting him in harm's way. And I like that I saw some of the wiggle from Tua. You know, he's playing off script, uh, which is a lot of what the analysts, analysts on ESPN are saying, right? Oh, he took away his first read. He can't do anything. Uh, you make him move outside the pocket, he can't do anything. But I saw him move a lot, saw him move within the pocket, avoid free rushers. And 
this was a sharp game. Like this might have been his sharpest game, honestly. I know there's a Denver game, but this one he just looked clean. He looked comfortable uh the whole way through. And, you know, gotta tip my cap to two. I thought, you know, like to see him playing like this in December. Um, but also, you know, the run game got going 123 yards on the ground. We threw it uh only 25 times and we ran it 34 times. So that's you know gonna be a recipe for success moving forward, especially as we get into the winter months, as you know, a little bit harder to throw with the cold air. But yeah, just just a good performance overall. Defense did their thing. Andrew Van Ginkle have to shout him out. Uh, he's the guy. Him and Agua, like I said last week, were the two. Um, more so, I think I said more so Agua, but yeah, Andrew Van Ginkle, who's been playing well for us the entire year. Uh, he had a pick six on Sam Howell, jumped a screen or like a bubble screen, looked like uh, just you know great recognition. And you don't make plays like that without putting in work in the film room. I feel like um, yeah, you can have great instincts, but to recognize that play and you know execute and capitalize on the opportunity i think just speaks volume to this defense and to the depth that we have which is probably the most um i guess like take it with a grain of salt thing with this defense because we lose jalen phillips we also lose jerome baker our middle linebacker uh sounds like he's gonna be week to week now so Hopefully we can have guys step up there. Javon Holland was also out this game, you know, and I just thought that this team really feels like they're willing to step up. You know, when one of their guys goes down, key guys go down. um, It's just a next man up mentality. And the camaraderie within this team is, is looking really good. And I mean, Hey, we're having fun with it. The roller coaster celebration. That's like one of my, that was a good one. That's like one of my new all-time favorites, I think. Like, it's a the group celebration. I think the seatbelt, like, when they he, Rob Hunt was, like, putting their arms out with the seatbelt, that was, like, so good. Um, coordination was perfect. So, yeah. And looking forward to seeing the hard knocks uh, tomorrow. Yeah, they, so. they showed that clip of them, like, planning it out. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. The, so the coordination of the seatbelt thing. Looking so that forward was pretty to, cool. Yeah, looking forward to the tomorrow's episode because I mean last week's one was just brutal. I mean, because they highlighted Jalen Phillips in that episode. It was like focused around him. So they're already taking footage around him. He's oh, he's having such a good year, you know, all this and that. Um, it's like his breakout into stardom in this league. And then he goes and tears his Achilles, and they're like they showed that whole thing it made me like sick to my stomach because i was just like it's like when you watch a horror movie for like the second time or something you know and you know what's gonna happen and you're just like like cringing or like clenching because you know what's about to happen and that's just how i felt i I felt so sick um and then just to hear like the audio on the field because he was mic'd up too for it like i just felt like so heartbroken so crushed for him Achilles so hopefully he gets that Aaron Rodgers rehab and is back (laughs) sooner than a year but I'm you know Achilles is going to be tough either way right so uh just praying for a speedy recovery for him and uh yeah hopefully they can go go out and keep winning um for him so overall yeah uh, it was a good game and we're on to Monday night next week 
Tool was on the the Manning cast. He was like playing the guitar. He was playing the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Played a little bit of Sweet Home Alabama. Um and yeah, looking good with the the cornrows and the do rag. So, you know, hopefully we we keep it going next week against the Titans, but um just got to take care of business because right now they are the number one seed officially in the AFC <laughs> through was this week four week 13 week 13 oh, so 13. yeah through week 13 Miami Dolphins are the number one seed in the AFC um didn't I honestly didn't think I would be saying <laughs> that honestly I think I said I could have seen like not like either eight and four or nine and three at this point I think it was probably eight and four because I thought we would lose to the Jets originally but um yeah hey nine and three looking to make it ten and three next week so um Hopefully, we both both our teams continue the the winning ways for that Christmas Eve. Yeah, hey, we're both nine and three at this point. So, yep. let's see it. Um, but yeah, let's get to some of the other games. So, three big games actually. Didn't think we were gonna have this many big games to talk about. But the next one we're gonna talk about obviously was looked to be the biggest game, uh, the NFC Championship rematch from last year. So the 49ers going to Philly and it was, you know, pretty close to start. Um, And then the Niners offense just exploded. The Niners defense started flying around, making plays, really shut down that Eagles offense. But uh, Matt, I'm just curious, what were your takeaways? Because these are kind of the two teams you're stacking your Cowboys up against. So how are you feeling after after watching that? That game on Sunday. Well, I'll say I'm happy because I got the result that I wanted to. Philadelphia had to lose to give us some kind of outside shot to win the division. They had to lose this game. So I was happy. I was happy. But I got to say the Niners look pretty damn scary. (laughs) I mean, they smacked us, what, 42 to 10. Now they smacked the Eagles 42 to 19. You could say that's the two best teams in the NFC. Like, if you're a Niners fan, that's the two best teams you're going to see, possibly, and you just demolish them. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I think they're scary. They're a scary opponent. Definitely the team that I fear the most, obviously. You know, they destroyed us this year. They knocked us out two times in a row in the postseason. So, yeah, I'm I'm a little worried because they're kind of getting their their swagger back. And what I mean by that is kind of everybody's getting a piece of the pie right now. Like, and that's what's scary, right? The Niners, like, okay, somebody's going to go off. They're too good to not have somebody, you know, have a big day, right? They got McCaffrey, you got Devo, right? Kittle is an all-roll tight end. Ayuk is a solid, probably all-pro this year, possibly, as a receiver. So they have quality weapons. But it's like when they all go kind of crazy, that's when you 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 can't beat them. There's no way. So it's like you got to take away like two, maybe three of them. And I think that was the reason why Philly struggled so much. Debo Samuel, they could not stop him. McCaffrey got going right later in the game. He had his touchdown. Ayuk kind of really was the guy that set the tone. Honestly, like they were they were struggling, but he was the one that kind of got him out of the the fits right Purdy found him 
you know, a few times to get his rhythm going. And then obviously he took off, you know, Kittle, he had another couple big catches. So Jawan Jennings too, you can't forget about him. Like he had a touchdown. So it's like, everybody's getting a piece of the pie. So it's like, you got to take away something. I don't know, you know, if it's McCaffrey, particularly Debo, like you can't have those two guys go crazy. One of them needs to be stopped. So if I'm a Dallas fan, I'm an NFC East contender. I would kind of look into that, you know, like if somebody goes off, whatever, but don't let the rest of the guys go crazy and, and start contributing too, because then you can't, there's too many guys on the field you can account for. So that was kind of the takeaway as a Dallas fan. I'm trying to look to take away, you know, a couple of their main weapons and make Brock Purdy one dimensional because I thought, you know, Purdy struggled in the beginning. I mean, they, that's the key. You got to get pressure on Purdy and make him uncomfortable. And after that first quarter, he was kind of just chilling in the pocket, you know, just, well, let me just check it down the Debo. And oh, yeah, he's just going to take it to the house 48 yards. Like, you know, it's just like yak. <laughs> Throw yep. a screen. Oh, yeah, he's going to take it, take it to the house. I mean, they call him the yak bros. So, yeah, that, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. But the Eagles, you know, it's kind of like what you were kind of saying, what you said that kind of went off on our uh, social media page. It's like, you know, they don't look like a 10-1 team. They they really don't. Like, you, there's nothing that indicates that with the way that they've been playing. They haven't been blowing out teams. Now they get blown out at home. And what Eagles team that you know with Jalen Hurts has 46 yards rushing? 46 yep. that's unheard of what eagles team does that so that's a kind of cause for concern but i guess you could make make a case that they were down so they're just throwing the ball but the eagles something is not wrong and i think it's mostly their defense honestly their defense is really gettable yeah they got Shaq leonard whatever he you know he didn't want to come to dallas you know whatever he doesn't need to come to dallas we don't want them anyway. <laughs> you want to play victim and try to, you know, oh, let me just parade around. Let me get some free meals from Jerry. Yeah, fine, whatever. We'll give you that smoke on Sunday. So look out for a CD Lamb and Tony Pollard breaking your ankles <laughs> on the field. That's all I got to say. But their defense has some question marks. And <laughs> I mean, they got torched. There's Darius Slay. Yeah, he's an all-pro, but I don't think his coverage has been that good. Debo was talking trash about James Bradbury from last year. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I yep. mean, they're, I they're, they have the names, but they don't have the things on the field that's backing it up with their play. So, yeah, I mean, I got the result that yeah. I wanted. But, yeah, I, I had to admit, 49ers, I think right now they're the best team in the NFC. I don't think anybody's going to debate that, even though they're one game back still. But. It's okay. We still got the result that we wanted. That's that's all that matters at this point. <laughs> yeah, I agree with the fact I think that the Niners, you could argue, are the best team in the NFC, arguably in all of football right now with how they're playing. It looks like they got their groove, their mojo, their swag back, especially to go into Philly and trounce the Eagles like that. Um yeah, that's definitely impressive. But one thing I kind of want to get a little bit more into that you touched on 
was the 46 rush yards for the Eagles, right? Um, I think this is the game plan for teams moving forward against the Eagles. You know, if Jalen Hurts beats you with his arm, so be it. I think that's just how you're going to have to play um, because I'm not seeing a lot of, like, creativity in the routes, I guess, in that game from the Eagles. You know, a lot of the completions, the big plays were like a slant to A.J. Brown or Devontae on a hitch or, you know, like stuff like that. Um, not really scheming guys super wide open, at least uh, from what I could see on TV. You know, maybe if you it, it, maybe if you watch the entire tape, it's, it's a little bit different. But just, you know, watching from TV, uh, casual fans perspective, that's just kind of what I saw. So, I mean, 18 rushes for 46 yards. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad for especially for an Eagles team whose identity really is running the ball. And you look at their two losses now. Uh, this Niners one and the Eagles one, Jalen Hurts in each game threw the ball 45 times, right? And so I think if teams can figure out a way to just get points on the board early, force Philly to really throw the ball instead of running it uh, and play from behind, I think that's kind of the Achilles heel in the offense for the Eagles. So I think that's going to be a focal point for teams moving forward. You know, hey, stop the run first. And I think Jalen Hurts can throw the ball, by the way. I'm not one of those, like, he's a running back, uh, you know, he whatever. Um, I think he he has shown much better improvement throwing the ball. I don't think it's necessarily his fault, but I just think with how this offense is set up. Um, okay. Sorry about that. Technical difficulties. Spectrum, as usual. <laughs> like, whatever. Um, like I was saying, I don't know where I got cut off. But pretty much, uh, I think, yeah, going forward, you make Jalen Hurts throw the ball. Um, I think he's capable of throwing the ball. But you got to, like the Niners, you got to take something away, right? One, one aspect of this offense you need to take away. And I think... The way to do it against the Eagles is you take away the run because in their two losses, they threw the ball way more than they ran. And maybe that's just it. And like you said, going to the defense, that front seven, I think, is pretty stout, uh, especially the defensive line with how deep they go. Definitely one of the best in football. We've said that all year. But the secondary, like you said, I think they also lost Avante Maddox, who is one of their better corners. Um, I think they lost him pretty early in the year. So they're a little bit, you know, banged up and got exposed a little bit. So we'll see how they adjust moving forward. But I think we're going to start to see that aspect and see if Jalen Hurts can really play up to that MVP caliber level that he was playing at last year um, to have them win games moving forward. So that was just what I wanted to touch on. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to add on from this one. But. Yeah, well, speaking of Jalen Hurts, I think something to look for when they play the Cowboys. I know he came back in the game, but he did leave oh, briefly for what was supposedly a concussion. So that I think that's something to monitor. I don't know. I was kind of shocked how quickly he came back in. Yeah, that was especially fast. 
with the score kind of, you know, kind of, you know, it's a blowout, right? Why would you want to risk him getting hurt at that point? But I think that's something to monitor throughout the week. I don't know. Maybe a couple hits by Micah Parsons might might trigger something. I don't know. But I don't know. That's something to think about. That's true. Because if Marcus plays against Dak Prescott, I'm sorry. I know Marcus is from Hawaii, but yeah. I am a da- I am a Dallas Cowboy fan first. <laughs> and that's going to be great for me. But just something to keep an eye out. Jalen Hurts' health is critical. For the Eagles season, for sure. I agree. I agree. Um, And sorry, before we do get off the game, we should talk about the incident that happened. That's right. With Devontae Smith. Oh, no, it's Dre, Dre, Dre Greenlaw. Greenlaw. Or yeah. Dre, sorry, it was Dre Greenlaw shoving Devontae Smith initially. And the Philly, what is his title? What was his title? Like, the he's the head of, of security. security? Yeah. yeah, head, like Big Dom, or what? what, what is his name? Like, uh i need to look this up yeah i'm looking oh look it's trending on yeah Twitter. i think it's uh, like uh, like dom DeSandro. yeah they call him big dom yeah so i don't even understand what exactly his role is but apparently do all teams have a chief of security i don't know like we're just casual fans right i don't know if you knew a little bit more about it but that was just a weird like situation because he wasn't a he's not a coach, but he's like a staff member of the Eagles, but pretty high up there. And I guess yeah, there I, are videos of him like, you know, he does his job really well. Like when Jalen Hurts comes through places, he like escorts him, escorts Sirianni places, right? So it's like, I don't really know what was going on but it, that whole thing was just weird uh it was it took out like a big chunk of that game when drake greenlaw got ejected and then big dom gets ejected too i was just like what i don't even think he meant to like hit like big dom in the first place but his arm kind of just like poked, like, like poked him on the nose yeah. or like brushed him <laughs> that was so weird that was a weird situation i don't know we need to see how things are moving forward because i don't know if drake greenlaw deserved to get ejected for that like if he hit a ref okay yeah you hit a player right you do something like that to a player you get 15 yards but i don't know why you get ejected for rushing up with a assistant or yeah but he's not even supposed to be like i feel like he's not supposed to be that close to the field i think isn't that the reason why he got ejected I mean, I didn't look into it enough, to be honest, so maybe I don't know, but I just don't get why in that situation you eject Greenlaw. Because, yeah, that's the thing for a game situation. Yeah, for you a lose game, a yeah, pro linebacker situation. versus a security guard. Yeah, and like, I don't understand where in the rule book it's like, oh, he made, what you make contact with the non- like a civilian, civilian, you can say, I don't even know, but non-football personnel, you get ejected. So what if it was like a fan on the field and they like made contact with them? Like you get ejected. I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Right. So any, like, per, like I get the unsportsmanlike or personal files, something, whatever you want to call 15 yards. Okay. Warning, but to eject him. Yeah. I felt like 
that didn't make a lot of sense. So I don't know. Weird situation. Yeah. We'll see what comes from it. Yeah. Because I think it's Philly. I don't know what's going on over there with those guys. Yeah. That was uh I don't know. But well, I'm glad that didn't impact the game like how we it could have been. It could have been drastic if it was a really close game. Right. Say the Niners, like they need a stop and I don't know, like their backup linebackers in, he misses a tackle or something. Like, you know, well, what if Trey Greenlaw was in? He would have made that tackle. But mm-hmm. I'm glad it didn't come to, to that. So at least there's not that controversy. Or like, well, they they ejected our all pro linebacker versus their security guard. <laughs> and that's the difference in the game. But we don't have that discussion, which is a good thing. Which is good. Yeah. Definitely good because the NFL is taking enough heat as it is with yes, the next game we're going to talk that, about. It's <laughs> a good transition. Uh, officiating again has been in question the entire year. Seems like a lot of people on Twitter or X, sorry, um, have been complaining. They're talking about it on the sports shows and unfortunately was on front and center on primetime Sunday night football for all the world to see in the crucial moments of the Chiefs Packers game. So before we get to that, though, a couple things I wanted to point out. Uh, Number one, on the Kansas City side, they just don't look the same as last year. I think that's pretty evident as well. Um, The explosion isn't there. They're almost a run-first team, I think, at this point now. It seems like that's their most consistent way of getting offense. Travis Kelsey, he's still going to do his thing, but I don't know if it's age or whatever is catching up to him. He has a partner in life. He needs to give give her some attention. I don't want to say – I'm not (laughs) going to make any crazy assumptions because it's Travis Kelsey, one of, if not the greatest tight end of all time with the numbers he's put up in his career, first battle Hall of Famer, all of that. So I'm not going to go too crazy. Maybe he's just in a little bit of a slump. Maybe he's banged up and we don't know about what's going on, right? But just not the crazy numbers we're used to seeing, crazy performances we're used to seeing from him. Um, But yeah, outside of that, it's been the same problem all year. Who is their receiver? Who, like MVS hasn't done much. Rasheed Rice has been nice in situations. Uh. Tony, like, Patrick Mahomes does not have that guy. Like, even last year when they had Juju, right, it felt like a little bit more – he felt a little bit more consistent going to Juju, but he doesn't have that. And Pacheco, I think, really is going to have to shoulder a lot of the offense until Andy Reid can figure it out. There's just no fun or no creativity that we used to see from the Chiefs. You know, they're not – spinning in a circle in the huddle anymore they're not motioning out the shovel pass almost got picked like the aura of that offense is just kind of gone this year and they feel really beatable uh i still like the defense i will say i think the defense is still pretty good but they lost like three or four starters last night um or sunday night oh yeah last sunday night. night um so yeah it was just I don't know what's going on with that team, but I still think they're really good, but just feel a little bit more beatable this year, I would say. And on the flip side, Jordan Love on a tear now these past three games. Uh, It is his first full season, right? Um, 
being the starting quarterback for this team. So uh, going through the ups and downs started pretty good. Hit a you know some bumps in the road there in the middle of the season, but these past three games, balling out and to do it you know against Patrick Mahomes on prime time and deliver a performance like that with some of the throws he was making too. I mean, not just you know playing great football, but Aaron Rodgers. Does he? I was gonna Brett say, doesn't he Bart look like he's S throwing like Aaron Rodgers? Throws off like his him. back foot. Um, and it's like. The it was the two throws, the two like wow throws that really impressed me were like you said, one of them off his back foot, that fourth down when you know the blitz was getting home. He just it looked like he just chucked it up, but I mean, fit it to Dobbs within three Chiefs defenders. That to me, I was like, okay, that's a heck of a throw to make in that time, like crunch time. Uh, gotta have it moment there and then to follow it up with the touchdown to Christian Watson I mean perfect ball absolutely perfect ball uh, the defender was all over Christian Watson but he puts it in literally the only place Christian Watson could go up out jump the defender to go get it like those two plays to me I was like okay that was special that was like special um, from Jordan Love and if we see that going forward I mean, it just might be another 12-year franchise quarterback for the Packers, honestly, if if he keeps up this kind of play. But, you know, they are 6-6, six and six, so I think how they finish out the rest of this year is going to be a big part in his future moving forward with the franchise. But, man, uh, I thought, you know, he, he played a really good game. But... Unfortunately, we have to talk about the officiating in this one because it mattered at the end of the game. And I think the two, for me, really big calls were the Patrick Mahomes roughing the pat, or I mean, personal foul. Not like the Cincinnati game last year when he was clearly out of bounds when he was shoved. Uh, this one still in bounds and takes a big hit, but. I mean, he didn't, he could have slid or he could have, you know, like you got to get out of bounds. That's the defender's going to try to make you not get out of bounds. In this case, I think that was the Simone Biles and Jonathan Owens. Owens. Yeah. So he hits him clean with the shoulder to shoulder in bounds. To me, I don't see how that's roughing or a personal foul at all, right? Because uh, what indicated that Patrick Mahomes was given giving himself up there you know he's going to the sideline at an like a diagonal and he's not running sideways you know to get out of bounds he's still trying to get yards forward and get out of bounds at the same time i think what else are you supposed to do there as a you know defensive player because you're kind of in a bind what you're just going to let him get three yards and hey what if you you know pull up and he jukes back in bounds right because he's a runner at that point. So you got to try to make a play on the ball. I thought that one was, was was a bad call. But I thought the MBS one was absolutely inexcusable. I mean, you're calling, you know, throwing flags all game, honestly. Um, and then in the, mo the most crucial play of the game, <laughs> with the defender literally piggybacking MBS reaching over him 
with his right arm draped around his shoulders, you now you're not going to throw the flag? Like that one, that's a bad look for yeah, that's uh, a, officiating, I think. That's so, a bad call. That one ultimately decided the game because the PI there, they're right there, you know, within in the red zone, ready to go. And I, it's just a bad look for the NFL, man. I don't know what needs to change. I don't think, okay, the Travis Kelsey one, the shove on the Hail Mary, I don't know what you thought about that, but we see that a lot. It's eh. they're not gonna, but they're not gonna call it exactly a Hail Mary because everybody's all bunched up right, and knocking each other over. So right. that, that's a hard one to make. But yeah, the MVS one. Why is this guy always in the in the news? Like when it's like game on the line, like you know, a deep ball to MVS. Like just kind of seems to be. Is that like they're they're? I mean, I guess it makes sense because they were you know they needed some chunk plays. But yeah, the NFL got to be more consistent i don't know if they need to do something where it's like can you review a penalty maybe that's something you need to look into like coaches can challenge (laughs) you know they can challenge a catch no catch a play on the field but i don't know maybe they should have an option to challenge a penalty maybe one a a game but like a new rule they should try implement for future seasons because that that game that's a on game on the line kind of deciding play right and it's not like, okay, the penalties, you know, in the first quarter and whatnot, whatever. But you just don't want a game, you know, one score game being decided by a penalty. That's going to be the difference of a team winning or losing, especially, especially in the playoffs. <laughs> That's all I got to say. But yeah, NFL, they need to look into something because it's just, it just needs to be consistent. That's, that's the problem. If you're going to be bad, call it both ways. It's like the Dallas game, Dallas-Seattle. Like everybody's like, oh, you know, Dallas got away with so many things. No, they didn't. <laughs> Seattle had, what, 10 penalties? We had nine penalties. It's not like the Eagles, dare I say, when the Bills have 13 and they have three penalties. It's not drastic, right? So if you call it both ways, you can live with it. But yeah, just it can't. that kind of stuff can't happen, especially to decide a game like that. I agree. Um Okay, well, let's get to the last game because this is a longer NFL segment. But tonight's game, we had the Bengals at the Jags and first place in the AFC on the line. I thought it was a shoe-in for the Jags, uh, especially with no uh, Joe Burrow and with how Jake Browning looked last week against the Steelers. I thought it was going to be a blowout. I mean, I think the spread was like 10 in favor of Jacksonville. But, I mean, we got I got to tip my cap to Jake Browning because he played a great game, I thought. Um, he did. Did not make any mistakes, I think. Um, I thought, crazy enough, he might have been limited by the play calling, honestly, uh, with how the game went, you know. But once I think Zach Taylor got comfortable – with how Jake Browning was playing. It's like the offensive staff decided, all right, let's, let's let him, you know, go out there and do his thing. Um, you know, I thought he played the perfect game in a backup situation. You make all the right throws, you make all the right reads. Don't turn the ball over. 
let the running game do its thing. And that's what you can do in the NFL, right? You go and steal one from the Jags who are leading their division, a really good team still, I think, but got to tip my cap to Jake Browning, the former Husky, because I thought for him to come in in that situation, right? You got to think too, the Bengals season, they lose one more game in that case. You drop to five and seven in the AFC. You, you might be just done. Right. But somehow, some way he, he gets, the win in Jacksonville and keeps their season alive. They're now six and six. I mean, they lose Joe Burrow, but still a really talented football team there can still make some noise down the stretch. Um, I don't know if Joe Burrow doesn't come back and Jake Browning is playing at this level though. Maybe they sneak in. You, you never know. Uh, they're six and six now still got a lot of football left, but I thought the, on the flip side, the, case of Trevor Lawrence is a bigger deal. We don't we've seen CJ Beathard uh in the NFL, you know, back up the 49ers. He's played, he's been, you know, around. Maybe he can still get the job done, but uh to me it feels like that Trevor Lawrence loss is a little bit bigger um than we were expecting, right? Because moving forward now Texans are hot. The Colts even are one They're game one back. game back. So this division is tight. I don't you can't afford to drop any more games moving forward. And without Trevor Lawrence, I don't know how good you know CJ Beathard can do there. I think Christian Kirk went out uh as well in that one. So it's it's looking a little dire now for the Jags who have been playing pretty well. I think they won eight of their last nine games. So it's looking a little bit hairy for them now. I don't know if they can clinch the division without Trevor Lawrence, Matt. But, um, yeah, just from this game, I guess, what you saw. Um, what were your takeaways? Well, I think Jake Browning, doesn't he remind you a little bit of Cooper Rush? <laughs> like, I don't know. He just gives me a little yeah, that's a good, Cooper, that's a good one. A little Cooper, Cooper Rush vibes. I mean... But the thing I think about Cooper Rush is he had weapons. You got CD, he had Amari, he had Cedric Wilson, he had Zeke, he had Pollard. Cincinnati still got their playmakers, and T. Higgins is back healthy. Jamar Chase is still top five wide receiver in the league. Tyler Boyd is a quality number three. Joel Mixon has kind of come to life, you know, after the slow start to the season. So kind of a you know the skill positions are there so i think if they just kind of play almost like i would say almost like the 49ers in a sense where it's like you tell brock Purdy, hey just get the ball get the ball to Debo and let him run just let him do the work in this case just get it to jamar jamar is athletic enough he's gonna make guys miss he can beat guys down the field just get him the ball give him a chance so if he doesn't turn the ball over kind of plays that Cooper Rush role, I, I think you have a compelling case. You brought it up. They can make some noise, I think, because their defense, I still like their defense. They have some quality pieces, especially on the front. Um, So it'll be it'll be interesting. I don't know their schedule, but they're not dead just yet. Give it a couple more weeks and we can come back into that. But yeah, Jake Browning, definitely a great job. I don't think 
anybody was expecting this one, but the Jaguars, let's, I mean, let's just put it this way. If Trevor Lawrence is not going to play, if it's a, like a Joe Burrow injury, he's out for the season, put a fork in him. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not going anywhere. I don't think they win the division if Trevor Lawrence doesn't come back this season. And heck, he might, if he, if he misses three weeks, four weeks, they're probably going to be overtaken, honestly, because they got two teams right on their heels. So I think it's tough. I think it's going to be tough for the Jags. Kind of unfortunate. You go from, oh, if we win, we're going to be the number one seed to now it's like, oh, we got to win just to make the playoffs at this point now because CJ Stroud is coming. Minshew's got the that Colts team, you know, clicking on all cylinders now. So, yeah, sad, sad times in, in uh, Jacksonville, definitely. But, you know, I guess for your sake, you must be happy with the, I should say, result of the score of the game, not necessarily the injury. Definitely happy to be the number one seed moving forward. And some winnable games still need to take care of business with the Titans and the Jets. But 11-3 and three is definitely looking possible. Uh, and even if we win one out of the next two or next three after that uh you know the dallas uh or baltimore dallas and bills run i don't know i think it's possible we could squeak out with the one seed i think that baltimore game is gonna be that's huge huge. that's a huge game now um that game could very well decide first place in the afc so as long as we're geared up we're healthy going into that game. It's it's going to be a good one because Baltimore wants revenge after last year. You know, they were up 21. I think it was in that fourth quarter. Tua comes back, throws, what, like three or four touchdowns in that fourth quarter to win it there. It's going to be a good game. I'm, I'm looking forward to that game. That will be the big test of this team. It's can we finally get over the hump at that at the right time? you know, going into the playoffs. So looking forward to that one, but can't look too far ahead. Still got to take care of business uh, these next couple of weeks, but okay. Well, that was a lot of NFL talk. We still got college football to get to. So why don't we get to a break here and uh, finish with or talk about some college football on the other side. Okay. So college football playoffs have now been determined with a lot of controversy as we expected and we got the chaos we were kind of hoping for uh the committee definitely was hoping this wouldn't be the case but we have to talk about it so matt now after all the championship games have been played we have our final four we got michigan at the one washington at the two texas at the three and Alabama at the four. So Georgia out, Florida State out, Ohio State out, and Oregon, unfortunately, with that loss, they're out. Um, Matt, let's get into the weekend. So I don't know if you want to start with Oregon and Washington because that was kind of the win in your in game. We can start with them. Uh, since you're the Oregon fan as well, why don't you just get into that game and uh, 
you know, how you're feeling now that the season is pretty much wrapped up. I, it took me took me a day, I think, to kind of settle settle in to the to the result. But you know, I, I gotta tip my hat to Washington. Um they, they were the better team. They were the better team in the first game. They were the better team in the second game. And they won this game because they were more physical than Oregon. They dominated, and I mean dominated the line of scrimmage. Offensively, I mean their offensive line. You you texted me on the side. They're the MVPs of this game. They Penix was not touched at all. Really. I mean, he got hit a couple times, but really he had all day to throw. He could go through his reads, have enough time to let your receivers get deep, throw the deep ball. I mean, and you set up Dylan Johnson with chunk runs. And I'm not talking big, you know, exploding, you know, 40 yard runs, but they're getting four, five, six yards a carry. And it's like, over the course of the game, that's going to wear and tear on you later in the game. And they were consistent with that the whole game. Um, so that was really kind of determining, kind of set the tone standard for Washington. So they, they came out, they established the the physicality early. They put Oregon behind. We're down 20 to three. I mean, Oregon's offense was horrendous, really, for a quarter and a half to start Eagle three straight possessions, three, three and outs. I mean, you put your defense back on the field. They're tired, right? Your offense, you got to give them a break a little bit, but they had a drive that lasted 10 seconds of game clock, but that's not winning football right there. That's not complimentary, complimentary football. So you're playing from behind against Washington. You're in trouble because they can beat you both ways. They got a quarterback that can throw it around. They got the weapons on the outside. And they got a nice solid run game now with Dylan Johnson. So it's a recipe for disaster. I know they came back, ended up taking the lead, which is great to see because Bo Nix, you know, that guy's not going to quit. This is his first championship game. He's going to leave it out on the line. But Oregon did a good job executing the, you know, classic two for one. They get a touchdown at the end of the first half. They get the ball to start the second. They come down, score a touchdown. So kind of gets you back in the game. It's kind of why I always prefer to defer for that exact situation. You can just flip the game. You're getting dominated, but within two minutes, you can flip the game and you're right back in the game going for the second half. So that was a great execution. But, you know, the defense to me in that latter half of the game, the fourth quarter, I was like, they just need one stop, one stop. And I was saying, if, Bo Nix gets the ball last with a chance to win. Oregon's, that's where exactly where you want to be, <laughs> right? I don't care the spread was Oregon giving nine. I don't know who made that, but you should bet on Washington because that's easy money. Just take it. But you got to get a stop defense. They they had that long drive, right? Oregon, they, they punt. They need a stop, but you give up a touchdown, not only, but you take off, what, seven minutes of game clock. And then Oregon comes down somehow, miraculously, I don't know, they score a touchdown in 30 seconds. So you give your defense another chance. I was crazy. And I was like, oh, baby? I was like, this game's over, like, whatever. And then I'm like, oh, Treshawn Holden over the middle. Oh, he's still going, he's still going. Go, go, go. But, you know, it all 
came down to nothing because, again, the defense, they just needed that one, one stop. And they had him on third and four. Third and four, they had him. And I was saying, Kirk Hershey was saying, you know, I like Washington to throw a pass here. And I agree. I think college football, a little bit different. You know, there's no two-minute warning. You know who's on the other side. You got, obviously, a Heisman Trophy finalist now, Bo Nix, waiting on the sideline. Right? Kind of don't want him to get the ball back with about a minute and a half, maybe, of game clock. And you got a quarterback who is another Heisman finalist, Michael Penix. You got a Bolitnikoff Award winner. Jalen McMillan is back. Uh, you got Polk. You got three weapons. I would throw the ball in that situation. So I think Washington made the right decision. But if you're Oregon, third and four, you kind of got to expect Washington to throw it just because of who's on the other side. And the fact that they wrote out this horrible coverage was just, that was the thing that blew my mind. How do you allow like eight to nine yards of separation from the line of scrimmage when you know they're just going to throw a short route. If they throw a go route, okay, well, tip, whatever. You got to live and die by that. But you cannot allow them to get like a five, six yard completion on a third and four. Just a simple hit. You know that you just know that it's going to be some kind of route that's short and quick. So you got to get up on the line of scrimmage and check them. And I just thought that was terrible. That was terrible defense. Terrible defense. You cannot do that. Because it reminded me of the Eagles, Eagles, Bills, right? Third and four, it's like Devontae Smith, right? Oh, they're going to pass. You know, they're going to pass, but he just runs a little hitch route because, you know, Jordan Poyer is playing like 10 yards off the line of scrimmage in zone. So it's like, what are you doing? So I just thought the defense, we just needed that one stop. We didn't get it. But, you know, at the end of the day, Washington, they're the better team. And they somehow got out of the Pac-12 undefeated, 13-0 regular season. Yeah, they deserve to be in the college football playoff to win the Pac-12 this year. Because the Pac-12, in my opinion, the deepest conference in football. I know people are going to say the SEC, but Pac-12 was loaded this year. Everybody's beating up on each other, and Washington came out of there perfect. So I have no problem with them being in the playoff after the season. And because I picked them, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get to the final four since we're, you know, that's all the hype and all the talk around those teams now. The two teams snubbed, Matt, uh, Georgia and Florida State. You know, you could argue Ohio State as well, those three. Um, I think the most controversial one we can say definitely Florida State being out. Um, I have so many like different feelings about this one, but I'll start off by saying that I feel so bad for the players, mm-hmm. you know, on that team, the coaching staff, uh, Florida State fans, right? Because, you know, I think it's a slippery slope with how you're going to approach the CFP from now on. Um, I think it is going to have drastic changes to everything from this decision. I'm talking NIL transfer deals um, and realignments of conferences moving forward. Because, you know, with 
the how the newer six bowls were before, right? You had the national championship, yeah, but you know, it was it was about doing your best in the comp in your conference, right? And then getting a shot at a New Year's Six Bowl, like Hawaii, for example, in 08, right? 07, 08. Um, you know, obviously he didn't match up well with the big boys, you know, against Georgia, but we went undefeated, you know, had a, some quality wins in there. And that's what like the magic of college football was, right? The Can that underdog pull off the big upset against a heavy favorite? Now, with this decision alone, um, I think the entire dynamic of college football is about to shift. And the reason I say that is because what are what message are you sending now to teams, to you know, colleges about who you play? And who you play matters, right? I, I don't disagree. I think if you're trying to select the four best football teams to play in the CFP. I think they got it right. You know, I'm not unhappy with with the four teams that are left, but I just think what it means for the sport going forward, um, it's going to be tough because Florida State, I mean, the players don't get to pick who they play, right? Uh, They go to a good school. ACC, still a power five school. You go undefeated, right? You do everything you're asked to do. Um, You beat top 10 opponents, and I believe it wasn't strength of schedule, but like strength of wins or something like that. There was a stat in there uh, where they ranked fifth, you know, compared to their strength of schedule being 55th. Um, it's just a slippery slope. I think now uh, if you're going to, you know, highlight the CFP so heavily moving forward in the NCAA that you have to expand the playoffs it has to be done um and now you're gonna start to see you know maybe the acc are gonna start to lose some teams right louisville is right there but florida state hey if we beat everyone in our division it's not our fault they're not good right um what what incentive does florida state have to stay in the acc and now i think it's gonna start to be a trend you know, ACC, Big Ten, even some of those schools like that can't get in. Um, you know, Pac-12 is already gone, right? I I I just fear it's gonna be like maybe you'll have the Big Ten, Big Twelve, SEC. Those are gonna be the three like just massive regions, um, and they're all gonna compete for, you know, to get into to the CFP because I mean, yeah, they lose Jordan Travis but they're still an undefeated power five school ACC champs. And uh, that team doesn't get in over a one loss, you know, team from another power five division. I just, I don't get it. Um, I mean, I do get it. Sorry. I just think it's, it's going to bring this crazy uh, situation moving forward for college football. And I feel bad for Florida state. I do. Uh, I still think the committee Got it right. If you're selecting the four best teams right now, um, you can argue Texas, you can argue Alabama, Georgia, you know, even Ohio State in there. But I don't think Florida State, unfortunately, could have competed without Jordan Travis and how they've looked in their past several games offensively. Um, 
But yeah, that that was just my thoughts, Matt, because like you literally did what you're supposed to do. You won every single game that you played and you don't even get it. So what does that say about record now? What does that say about teams you play? If you're not in a good conference, what's the point if you can't make it to the CFP, right? So I think it's going to shift the entire dynamic of the CFP moving forward. I think you have to expand. Yeah, well, luckily, they are expanding next season. It goes to 12. So I think that'll ease some of the some of the pressure off the off the committee a little bit. But I'll kind of say, you know, you touched on Florida State. I feel for them. But I will say by rule, the committee, when they created the four-team playoff, it was about who is just the best four teams. It wasn't necessarily the record, but it's just determining who the best four teams are. And I agree, like, it's really a lose-lose, right? You know, I don't know how you can make a right decision in this point. But I, I think the committee got it basically right, I would say. I, I think Alabama is a better team at this point of the season than Florida State. That It seriously sucks, but yeah, it just comes down to that. Alabama, and it, I, I think quarterback, now you kind of really know, like, you need a good quarterback to compete for a CFP national championship. All the teams in the playoff this year have, you know, quote-unquote Heisman quarterbacks. Michigan with J.J. McCarthy. You know, he's a quality college football quarterback right now. Michael Penix for Washington, Heisman finalist. Quinn Ewers has been a top, you know, NFL prospect in this supposed class if he decides to leave. But he's a quality quarterback. And Milrow, Jalen Milrow has kind of come on, kind of crept a little bit into the Heisman race, not really a finalist, but kind of that second tier after a shaky start. And yeah, I know Jordan Travis. I thought he would have been right there in the preseason, but he's not. He's not there. And we saw Tate Rodemaker. We saw third-string quarterback. It's, it's not the same. And the argument can be said, oh, well, in 2014, when they that year um, Ohio, Ohio State. State won, they beat Marcus and Oregon. Like, oh, but they had Cardell Jones as, uh, you know, their quarterback. He was the third string guy and he, you know, how did they get in? Well, the thing is when Cardell Jones played, did you not see the demolition that Ohio State put on, <laughs> uh, who are they playing, Iowa or Penn State in the in the Big West? Not the Big West. Big Ten Championship. I mean, they destroyed, <laughs> I think it was Iowa. Flat out demolished him. And it wasn't, yeah, Ezekiel Elliott was the catalyst. But Cardo Jones was making some throws. I mean, he was hitting the deep balls to Devin Smith, hitting Michael Thomas over the middle. So it's like, yeah, they lost their quarterback, but the guy, they showed flashes of firepower. And I think that's what the CFP wants to see, right? It's all offense now. You want to see fireworks. You want to see explosive plays. And Ohio State had that. Florida State, not really their thing right now. I think the past few games, it's, they win with great defense and field position. Run the ball with Trey Benson. And <laughs> I mean that that ACC championship game, honestly, great defensive game, but the quarterback play was atrocious <laughs> by, by both teams. It was hard to watch quarterback play. So I think that matters because 
that's the most important position in football. It's the quarterback. And I don't think you can make a case that Florida State is the best four teams by what the committee says the rules are for the CFP. So hard to say. I mean, you could, but you can also say, well, how do you leave out Georgia, right? You know, two-time defending champs, yada, yada, yada. But I think the committee did, you know, the best that they could. But I'm glad next year it's going to be a 12-team playoff. And it's going to be interesting because a team like Liberty would have made the playoffs this year, which is crazy because Liberty is playing Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. And their strength of schedule is low. So it's like, what if Liberty say, you know, next year, or they do this format, right? Liberty gets in the playoff. They play, I believe, Florida State. What if they just get killed? <laughs> you know, so it's like, that's going to look bad for the the non-Power 5 guys. And the committee's not going to want to put them in. Maybe they change the rules or whatever. So it's a slippery slope, I think. But I think to get the four best teams this year at this point of the season, I think the committee got it right, unfortunately. Yeah, there was a lose-lose, like you said. Um, but we'll see how, how things play out. It'll be interesting. I think the four games are going to be good. Alabama-Michigan, I think it's going to be a gritty, tough one. Uh, good defense, lots of running. We'll see how that one plays out. And then Washington and Texas, I think the complete opposite. I think it's going to be a shootout. <laughs> yep. Uh both offenses look really good. Both quarterbacks really good. Both can run the ball pretty well. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a good one. Um, I guess real quick, Matt, if you want to get to it here, uh, any predictions right now of how you see it playing out? We can also Ooh. revisit this if you don't want to if you don't want to do it just yet. On the spot. Just mm. like give me your feel. Give me your feel. Mm. Of, wow. Uh, okay. What you think? As of December fourth, as of December fourth, yeah, we'll retouch on this. Wow, but... that's a tough. I, honestly, hmm, I'm gonna go Washington. I'll go Washington over Texas. Who this mission? I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Alabama. I think I'm gonna pick Alabama too. Unfortunately. I'm gonna pick Alabama. I can't. I just can't Alabama. pick against Alabama. Yeah, I can't pick. But it's like, but see, like, kind of switching gears. But, like, they showed that clip of Michigan, right, when they were watching yeah. the selection show. And when they saw Alabama's name come up, they were like, oh, like, it's like, okay. I bet you they were, like, give us Florida State so we can just demolish these guys. Like, mm. not like a bye, but it's like, you know, an easier opponent. They were praying for Florida State. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you, like, they're already kind of shook already. It's like Alabama's kind of got that intimidating factor back you know so i think alabama and washington and then <laughs> i want to pick you know what i'll pick washington pick washington you know washington the Pac the 12 okay. i say the pac 12 best conference i'll pick washington even though they're the rivals but i'm going to pick washington because they have i think the best quarterback in the field in the final four michael okay. Penix. He's the Heisman finalist. I'm gonna pick with him. I'm gonna ride with him. And I think they have the best weapons too. <laughs> so that's my early prediction. I will say I did have Washington and Michigan in my initial picks. So at least I got 
half of the field right. Yeah, all I got was Alabama right. And (laughs) you know what? I'm going to stick with Alabama. I think they got hot at the right time. I think they're playing really well. Snap Georgia's unbeaten streak. Uh, Jalen Milrow playing much better. Man, he is a difference when he can run the ball and throw the ball efficiently. So give me Alabama. Pretty boring one, but I'll, I'll go with Alabama over Washington. I think Washington wins that as well. So that's my right now pick. We'll see how okay. things unfold. Just that's just my gut feeling right now. But uh, let's get off college football. Uh, going kind of long with everything else. But UH basketball. I know we're supposed to have Hunter, like we mentioned earlier. But we're Bulls are six and one. You've been to one or two games now. Uh, I got, went to only one, but I went to yesterday's game against Central Washington. It's not Central Washington, Central Arkansas, and. They kind of they put up ninety five points, which is kind of okay. insane for UH. Yeah, so, so how are we off- looking? Offense is there. I mean, Noel Coleman, he's hot, twenty five points again. But the guy who was uh, kind of stealing the show was actually Juan Munoz. I mean, UH kind of was. They were trailing in the first half, I think by like seven at one point, and they were kind of like, okay, this is not. What we expect, but uh, Central Arkansas has one win here. Like, what's going on? <laughs> and then Juan Munoz comes off the bench, and he just was unconscious. Five for five from three. Then he had 19 points in the game. He really got the team out of the funk. And then with him kind of shooting the basketball ball, it opened up the inside. Uh, Sil- Bernardo De Silva and Justin McCoy were getting some nice easy layups. And Munoz, man, he was making some sick passes. He had a nice no-look pass to um, McCoy underneath. So I'm not – this. I do this every year, it seems like, but it's like I just like him a little better than Jovan. That's just – that's just me. I know they're not going to bench Jovan, right, after the season he had, but he's kind of come out on a – you know, he's a little bit slow, I think. Um so I think Javon needs to definitely step up his play because I want to see more Juan Munoz now. I want to see more of him. I think he's shooting the ball better. Um, you know, he's obviously coming off of two season-ending injuries, so he's only going to get better every game he plays, getting his feet more wet. Um, but I like the passing. Munoz has been able to create some open looks for his teammates, and that's going to be huge because I think their bench is a little... Not to say depleted, but they lack a little bit of a scoring, I should say, off the bench. So, led by Juan Munoz, I think, you know, BD, Marsek, Herrulidev, they need some easy baskets. And if Juan Munoz can set that up for them, this team's going to be pretty good. But I will say the defense kind of got to shaken up or sharpen up the defense a little bit. They're kind of giving up a little bit more points than they normally are last year. Um, but Close to 70 points a game, which isn't which isn't really UH-esque, really, with Gannat. So I would like to see the defense cleaned up a little bit. But, hey, 6-1, and one, kind of what I expected to this point because I didn't think they would beat Utah, but they were hanging in with them tough. But, hey, 6-1, and one, they play HPU on Sunday next week. So, I mean, it's better be HPU. So you can go 7-1 and one into Nevada the following week the game before they play the pilots so a possible eight and one seven and two going into the diamond classic is it's pretty encouraging so yeah i think they'll get better as they play 
into the season. But yeah, so far so good. Hey, six out of seven is a good start. So I don't think you should really anybody can complain too much about that. Oh yeah, definitely looking good moving forward here. Um, I think, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Hopefully, this team uh, goes a little bit farther than previous teams. Just leave it at that. Um, anyway, a uh, little bit of baseball talk before we wrap it up. Uh, Juan Soto to the Yankees starting to heat up now. Uh, as well as Yamamoto to the Yankees. So those two have been linked pretty heavily. Sounds like the Yankees are aggressive. I'm sure you're happy about those two names. Um, if you could get one of them, I'm sure you'd be more than happy. Uh, but, yeah, I think the Soto one would be huge, you know. Lefty bat, he's still young. Uh, that short porch and right kind of just spells for a perfect pairing for the Yankees. and. You know, Yamamoto, uh, 25 years old, like we've discussed, uh, to get him at that age coming out of Japan is pretty rare. And with his stuff, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think he's 5'10". So he's like a little bit taller than me. He's my height. He's like your height, <laughs> but he throws 99 off the mound. Yeah, uh, so he throws about... 30 to 40 miles faster than I do. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. So um it'll be interesting. I think he he'll his game will translate pretty well. Um and I know the Yankees are are going all in on him. But uh yeah, something to look out for. We'll see if Cashman can pull it off. They they need I don't want to sound desperate, but they, they need both of them. Both they of really them? do. Yeah. Because can, they have you so many. Both of them, though? I don't care. Like, play, pay the luxury tax. You're the New York freaking Yankees. Like, if the Dodgers can do it, why can't we do it? We got money too. You're a big market team. Like, I don't know why the Yankees they try to be like the Rays and like you know. I get it, Moneyball esque, but isn't that your advantage? Like, you're not the Oakland A's short on cash. Like, you got money. <laughs> Use that to your advantage. Get the big stars. And it's like, whatever they're asking for Soto, I'm not saying just whatever they ask, but it's like, if you got to go a little bit over to what they're asking, come on. It, like, it really, like, is Johnny Burrito going to be the difference between us keeping or getting Juan Soto? Like, that should not be the difference. Like, Juan Soto is a generational talent, and he's 25 years old. So he's going to be in his prime for another seven, eight, nine years maybe if you re-sign him, which you, you better if you if you trade for him. But you got to get him. Got to go back to being the bad boy Yankees because other teams are, are doing that. I mean, the Blue Jays getting Otani maybe. I don't know. No, 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 no. <laughs> Let's calm down there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you want to talk about Otani, uh, I've been hearing all kinds of stuff linked to the Blue Jays. I hear, oh, the Giants have an upper hand on him. Oh, uh, the Angels still are, you know, well within the running. He's going to decide this week. Oh, now he's not going to decide until after the winter meetings. Like, too much speculation, I think. And with Otani, if, like, like he said, if teams' info gets leaked, 
that's a bad thing. He doesn't want it getting out, right, about his decision. So I'm going to be extremely patient with this one until I see the news. I literally, even if it's, you know, rumors to the Dodgers, I'm not paying any attention to anything because I don't know what's real and what's not anymore. Uh, seen so many conflicting leaks or, you know, quotes about where he's going to go and how the meetings are going. So I'm not even going to give it any of my attention at this point. Uh, just hoping to see that breaking from Jeff Passan, Shohei Otani to the Dodgers. When I see that one, all right, then I'll know it's for real. No, but, it's going to be uh, John Heyman, uh, Shohei, oh, old, what's a old, Otan, Shohei Otan Otan to the Giants. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you. I would not like that. I'd be very upset about that. Uh, But we'll see um, how things go. A couple other ones. Severino goes to the Mets. Yeah, that's a. Yeah, I mean, sad because he's a lifelong Yankee, but I mean, he was pretty. He got pretty. Yeah, the injuries kind of caught up. You know, it was time to go, but. I have no no bad feelings against Sevi. I mean, he he gave us everything. I mean, he was an energizer on the mound. So I I, I truly wish him the best because I I really like seeing him play in Yankee Stadium. He was yeah. perfect, perfect character. So kind of sad to see him going that way. But yeah, the the injury is just kind of catching up to him. So that even more so. That's why we need Yamamoto. We lost the guy in the rotation. Well, there's another international bat that looks like is becoming available. Uh, Jung Ho Lee, I believe, uh, from the Korean KBL. Baseball League. Uh, one of their best players. I don't know how old he is, though. I wasn't able to see how old he is. But he has a little bit ex- of experience there. One of the best hitters. Um, he'll be another Ida or another one to keep your eye on moving forward. And uh, real quick on my Dodgers, sounds like Boogie Betts going to play second base every day. I don't know if you heard about that from Dave yep, Roberts. Dave but, Roberts. Uh, it's always tough. I mean, he is going to be good at second base, but he's a gold glover in right field, yeah. right? Like, he's a gold glove outfielder. I get we, have, we re-signed Jason Hayward, but, man, I just – if we could have found an everyday second baseman and leave Mookie out in right, I might have been leaning a little bit more towards that. But we'll see. We'll see how things go. Uh, still got a lot of winter meeting left to go. So, uh, yeah, it's getting a little bit long here, Matt. So why don't we uh, touch on some of our usual segments? Who is our foolish fool of the day? Yeah, our foolish fool is uh, the Oklahoma State student body. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, all the frat students at Oklahoma State, what are you guys doing? I mean, it's if you guys didn't hear, they came out and read a report that they found a dead longhorn corpse on the front lawn of a frat house at Oklahoma State prior to the Big 12 championship against Texas. I think that's a little too far. Like, I mean, it's just sports, guys. Like, you don't, we don't need to kill things with life i mean it's not sad it's that's a little too far and i think it's it's funnier in a sense because texas whooped them (laughs) so it's like you guys trying to you know party and i don't even know like celebrate your team but it's like you do know that 
football players run on emotion and run on motivation. And if you do something like that, that's only going to fire them up even more. So why would you even think that would help your team in the first place? But to even kill something for a football game, that's outrageously stupid. Whoever did that, that's sick. Call you frat guys. Like, what are you guys doing? Come on. You guys got to be better. Be better than that. So that's my foolish fool of the week. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a little slower week for um, you know, Hawaii. But I will say, uh, state of the eight oh eight, happy birthday to Max Holloway. Um, it's his birthday today. So always gotta shout out Max whenever we can. One of the champs from Hawaii that we like to talk about. I don't know who he's gonna fight soon because uh Volk is fighting Topuria, so I don't know. It, it'll be interesting, but always shout out to Max whenever we can. Happy birthday to him. Uh, hope he's doing good. But that's my kind of state of the 808 update today. Other than that, Matt, why don't you take us home with our sports fact of the day? All right. We are recording on December 4th, and we'll go back to 1987. And a guy by the name of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, kind of one of the greatest basketball players of all time, uh, he had a double-digit scoring streak of 787 games, and it came to an end on this day against his old team when he was on the Lakers against the Bucks. Kind of ironic there. And then his streak lasted for about a decade until somebody by the name of Michael Jeffrey Jordan broke that streak, to no surprise, until another guy named LeBron James broke that streak. So... Kind of full circle, goats beating each other's records. Um, but Kareem, yeah, crazy, 787. You know, he mm-hmm. had basically, he has a lot of the records in the NBA, but, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I know he's still pretty sour about losing that all-time scoring record to LeBron. I know that stings, but hey, to score double digits, 787 games in a row, that's insane. <laughs> that's truly insane. So yeah. shout out to Mr. Skyhook. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. All right. That was a good, nice little basketball one to get in there. Um, Okay, Matt. Well, that'll wrap up our podcast here. Still got, you know, still coming down the home stretch of the NFL season. So we'll have more of that to talk about next week. Hopefully, maybe we can get Hunter on. Uh, If not next week, then the following week. But would still like to get him on to talk some UH stuff. Um. But yeah, other than that, as usual, thank you everybody for taking the time to listen, to watch us, uh, Spotify, YouTube, all that stuff. Have a good week. Have a safe weekend. And we'll see you guys next week.